Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Today we bask in the light of mustachioed greatness. Have you ever wanted something so damn bad that you were willing to do almost anything for it? Probably not, because most people just don't have that sort of insane drive. Most of us just want to get through this life hoping we fall ass backwards into greatness, you know, and others start podcasts about mustaches and film. Well, that's uh, that's not how Rupert Pumpkin sees things. That's right. As you saw in the title of this episode, we are discussing 1982's King of Comedy, a Scorsese film that takes a deep, dark look into the psyche of a comedian who wants to skip the open mics and head straight to the Tonight Show interview chair. Imagine if you could just copy-paste yourself into that VP job you've always wanted instead of getting your mustache dirty in the corporate trenches. Take that as you will. Anyway, I've brought on Spencer from Dark Habits on a Moldavar podcast to help me break down this bad boy. And without further ado, let's grow a creepy 70s Uncle Mustache, befriend some professional stalkers, and turn the nutty professor into our buddy professor, and make it to the big time, because it's the early 80s, baby, and anything can happen when you're wearing a fancy three-piece suit. Shit. Play that shit theme song. I almost forgot that part. It's the Mustache Podcast, you. We're ready for the show. We'll watch moves, we'll make some jokes, and then we'll all go home. Welcome to the Mustachio Podcast Deal. I am your host, Daniel J. Suda. And today we have a veteran, a fellow connoisseur of film, uh, much more uh, sharpened than I am, and uh, has been doing podcasting for quite a bit, too. He's from the Dark Habits on an Almodovar podcast. Mm-hmm. I had didn't, never had a chance to say that word yet. Uh, his name is Spencer. Welcome to the show, Spencer. How's it going, man? I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty good. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, it's... Uh... Uh, well, I, I I announced this on on Twitter in a jokey way, but I got engaged a month ago, mm. so things have been going pretty well. Damn! Congratulations on that. Yeah, I mean we've been, we've been together nine years, so it, it was going to happen at some point. <laughs> it was it was time. Yeah, <laughs> it is time. Yes, <laughs> so that you know at some point you got to tie the knot and uh, and roll the dice and. You know, I was married once, and it was okay. Uh, <laughs> it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone, but you know what? It was a good time, and we're we're still cool. So uh, I made a friend for life. You know, not a wife for life, but a friend for life at least. So, Unless you're civil. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're totally civil. She's awesome. Uh, yeah. So today, Spencer has brought to the show a movie that I actually don't have a lot of. I knew about it. Hmm? I was very aware of it scorsese film the king of comedy um you know great cast great principal cast i knew all about that part but had never really watched it from beginning to end i'd seen little parts here and there i'd seen people i've heard people cover it um it kind of reminds me of this experience i've seen the film twice now and it kind of reminds me of when i grew up watching science of the lamps like to me that Mm -hmm. uh, in in my young mind i was like that's the first film that has hannibal lecter i i did not know about manhunter yeah. until well later in life closer to like my late 20s a friend of mine told me about it and, and 
he's like, hey, if you like neo noir, you're gonna love this film. Check it out. It's the first yeah. time Hannibal Lecter's on film, and it's a little it, bit it, more toned down, but it's a great film. And this kind of reminds me of this with the Joker. Yeah. Oh, like if no one has seen Manhunter, I want to say that uh, uh, Hannibal Lecter has, I think, five minutes at most. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. He's a. He's more of a sprinkle. He's more of just a. <laughs> but yet nice so little, effective. It's a nice little cameo if you know the book. Then like, if like if you don't know Sansa Lance, but if you knew like the books, you saw a movie like, hey, it's that guy. But yeah. then, <laughs> but but like besides that, it's. It's kind of weird looking at it. We're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about my favorite Scorsese <laughs> movie. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to ask you why you why you uh, brought this. Uh, we're honoring Robert De Niro's very uh, non-intimidating mustache uh, that he has in this film, but it's a mustache indeed, and they're all they're all willing. I'm I'm willing to honor them all, including the little bitty caterpillar he's got going on that upper <laughs> lip. But you brought this onto the show, so uh, what what's your history with with this film? I never heard of it until I think I was maybe 20, 21 or so. And I heard Pat Oswald talk about this is one of his favorite, his favorite movie or one of his favorite movies. Oh, nice. And uh, because Pat Oswald mentioned it, it's like, well, it, there must be something interesting about it. If he's, if he's going to talk about it like this. So then I just kind of, but then I didn't watch until I think six years ago, seven years ago. And uh, I immediately came my favorite Scorsese. It's my type of uh, comedy. I like. I prefer comedy as like darker and more cringy. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. Uh, yes. But uh, like yeah, Tim Robinson like, or something. Yes, yeah, basically. <laughs> I will say, uh, as you mentioned, your your uh, co-host had mentioned that he he you wanted him to be on the show and and mm. he he just doesn't feel comfortable with this <laughs> having to watch this film nope <laughs> um and i will say i will say being the fact that i watched it twice mm. um full sit down i like i never took a break i that's one thing i'll give this film it, it's not a super short film but it's not super long i think it's like a minute 45 or something like that um yeah i think and, it's just under two hours yeah just roughly. under two hours and there's not really a dull moment this the story moves fairly briskly and the scenes um there's so many like scenes that pop up because we're kind of going into different um we're always going kind of bouncing back and forth from reality to uh rupert pumpkins um <laughs> uh, fantasy world you know yeah and it keeps it interesting. You never, it, it's it keeps it fresh, and and there's a lot of uh, the world that he lives in of these uh, people, because you know, like the movie opens up and he's amongst. You can tell that all these uh, fanatics for mm-hmm. uh, for this Tonight Show host uh, Barry Langford, I believe is the name. Uh, Jerry. The Jerry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's Barry Langford? That might be an actual person. I don't know, but could be the, 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 the intro guy, Ed O'Hurl. He was the announcer for one of them shows. Oh, no shit. So it's like a weird little meta thing of mm. uh, like merging fake and real. Yeah. I did read that. Um, I didn't go too d- deep into uh, fun facts, but I, I did read. They wanted Johnny Carson initially, um, but he, uh, he didn't want to do it, but they did use his actual producer, I believe. I think he plays Bert. Um, oh. 
so that's kind of cool. Uh, so there is a couple. They did kind of dig into uh, finding some people that are actually from that Tonight Show, yeah. you know, type uh, uh, background. And I think that it does feel super real. Like the show feels real. Um, Jerry Jerry Lewis does such an amazing job playing that kind of. He's kind of mm. steals the show to me a little bit. I uh, first time for me, it was all about Jerry Lewis not being a goofball and be like, "Oh, he can act if he's given the if he's given the chance." Yeah, it kind of reminded me because I've always heard that he, he's not the easiest and he and he's a little rough around the edges. And I kind of feel mm-hmm. like he was instead of performing like he's always done to make people laugh, he was really being who who he is when he <laughs> says that line of. I've always been this way, not just when I was famous. Like I've always been a, a, a shrewd dickhead. I believed him. Like I think that's why he's this part is so believable. Cause even like when he's up on stage and he's doing his comedy, it's more of like a dry, kind of sarcastic stick that he's mm-hmm. doing. He's not really like um being goofy and doing voices, like you know, or dancing around like Conan O'Brien, you know, used to do and stuff. Yeah. He he's really kind of uh he comes across as that jaded sort of he he really leans into that 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 character and i thought he did an amazing job and 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 also mm-hmm. he does a lot of stuff where he's just staring because fucking rupert talks so much like someone <laughs> i know and it, it's, he just it's like there's an yobo it's like if tim yobo was your stalker oh my god it's tim yobo <laughs> I'm so glad he doesn't have that delusional. Well, he is kind of delusional. I think he thinks he is the funniest podcaster of all time. <laughs> he can be funny, but it's not always on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of makes him special. I, I think that's yeah. that's why uh, Mike enjoys having him on the show. It's just pure yeah. I considered, if Yobo, if you're hearing this, uh, just know, like, I don't have time for a four-hour se- session. Like, I wanted Yobo on initially, but I thought, that's this will go on for three hours. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I thought about that too. I was gonna ask you as well, but I I kind of I like the one on ones as well. I think mm-hmm. those are a lot of fun. Even the it's so funny uh, while we're talking about Tim, which I'm sure he's jerking off to this right now. Oh, um, work sucks. Am I right, Jay? Yeah, Kay, it does. But luckily, the Fuck My Work Life podcast is here to help you through. In this comedy podcast, we share memorable workplace stories through guests and listener submissions in the hopes of brightening your day, or at least leave you thinking, maybe you don't have it so bad after all. Listen to Fuck My Work Life on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on all the socials at FMWLPod. He's so different on a one-on-one than if you have him in a group setting. He is, he's a lot more, I don't know. He's not as like rapid fire. He, he, he'll actually huh. have more of a discussion. So I will say if you ever, uh, have you ever had him on your podcast? Uh, no, I feel like he would just take over everything and derail it <laughs> <laughs> into like a, I, I try to keep some control on my show, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't contain him. Oh yeah. He's, he's a wild cracker. A wild cracker. <laughs> yeah, he's. A, I mean, he is. <laughs> we can, we can, we get to say cracker on this show. <laughs> but uh, I was gonna say firecracker. My apologies, apologies. But he's a wild white guy. Uh, is that so, racist because he's Irish? Yeah, that's what I was. Saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. 
Uh, I hope you enjoyed that, Tim. Um, if you don't know who Tim Yobo is, he's been on the podcast a bunch. He's a friend of mine, and he's also been on the grind. Then he has his own podcast called The Bloody Bits Horror Show. There we go. No more Tim talk for the rest of the podcast. But I'm pretty sure he I, – I couldn't remember – I remember him saying he didn't really like Casino. I, I will have to ask him mm-hmm. um, what he feels about this movie. I think, honestly – I'm uh, like a lot of times in this podcast, because I there are so many great films that I've just not mm-hmm. seen. I kicking myself that I have not seen this. I this this movie really would have spoke to me even at a younger age, because I think being an entertainer or wanting to be an entertainer. Mm-hmm. I was in bands. I was I was in punk bands and stuff. I was never planning on being worldwide famous or like mm-hmm. even nationally famous, really. But I still wanted that attention. Like I still I craved being able to have people enjoy the music that we were making. So I can kind of understand where he's coming from. I never stalked a mm-hmm. famous punk singer or a record label executive or something, but um, I understand that where the desire comes from, but it just seems like this is really a, a story of a, somebody that is incredibly, incredibly driven and has all the drive to become a famous person. But in the time and place where he's doing this, it, it he just seems because he's a little bit, you know, he's he's got a lot going on upstairs. There's a, and he's probably had a pretty tough upbringing, and so you're seeing the the results of that, and it's yeah. it's kind of terrifying, funny sometimes, but also ter- this terrifying. This movie has so many genres in it. Yeah, it's like to me, this is the this is Taxi Driver too. This is Travis Bickle after an Adventure Taxi Driver. Yeah, because like with Taxi Driver, if you have if you don't have, I have, have seen, seen that it, one yeah okay well spoiler alert for like one of the most famous movies ever made it's about a, a guy who has he, he, he had a certain idea of how to be a hero more or less and he kind of goes over the edge but then he completely cracks and loses loses it and to me king comedy is what if travis bickle got even worse and like this is him like post the events of taxi driver yeah that makes a lot of sense actually <laughs> cleans like, himself up <laughs> gets a trying, nice tuxedo <laughs> trying to blend in society has a new name and everything yeah well what i love about about rupert's <laughs> character is that he he always dresses to the nines like because you look around him he's in mm-hmm. like midtown manhattan or something and so because at first i was like is that just the way people were dressing but no he he sticks out a little bit um because you look at everyone else, they're a little bit more, they're not so colorful. This guy looks mm-hmm. like, uh, I forget that guy's name, but he was the NBA reporter, sideline reporter, and he would always wear wild-ass suits all the time. Uh, um, Walt Frazier? I, I could be. I, I just remember seeing him every now and then. There was a, a TikTok that I saw where Garnett was giving him shit, and it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Because Walt, Walt Frazier, he was a... He was on the Knicks in the 70s and I think maybe 80s. But then he's like a sideline guy sometimes. Um uh commentator commentator guy. He always wears like flashy like tiger print suits and stuff. Oh shit. Oh, Craig Sager was the one I was thinking of, but I think I I I think I've heard of that cat too. But yeah, like he just he he every time there's not a single scene in the entire film where he's dressed down or he's in pajamas or he's just wearing a shirt and shorts or something it's like he's constantly getting ready for the moment that he's going to get famous or something which is crazy to me like he doesn't have an off switch it's just always happening um 
you can tell that he had been planning for quite some time mm -hmm. to be able to be alone with uh, with Jerry in the limo. And the way he made that work is so crazy to be like, <laughs> it's just insane. And to be able to pull that off, he, basically in the film, y'all, if you haven't seen it, he waits outside. We we meet him and he's in he's he works in an office. So he's he's mentally functional enough to be able to carry a job and and yeah. make some money and i mean he's got to buy those suits somehow he you know and he's waiting outside this is where you see his nightlife his his other side it's almost like um bruce wayne and batman except <laughs> if batman was a stalker at night instead of a vigilante yeah and he's just waiting outside he's talking to all his his other crazy friends <laughs> that are into uh uh getting autographs from from famous people specifically uh jerry and Jerry gets gets into his limo, and there's one of the best characters uh, played by Sandra Bernhardt. Um, I think her name's Marsha. 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 Which yeah, is crazy. She... It almost makes you say it in a New York accent. Marsha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love her just so much. She's so unhinged, and oh, usually, God. like the like, like I, I saw my on my other show at some point. Like I find the Hollywood idea of like weird white trashing women really hot. But Sandra Bernhardt in this is just like, holy shit! She, it's it's to me it's insanely sexy, and I don't know why. Oh, <laughs> well, it's one of those you know that the sex would be amazing. It'd be everything after that, like how she would react once you like, you know, fucking blow her back yeah. out. Like she 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 would never leave you alone. Like you, yeah. she would literally be in your life twenty four seven, stalking. Or you. yeah, or she would kill you. Or she'd kill you. <laughs> as soon as she saw like um she saw like your Instagram followers, like or like who 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 you're following, and she saw it was mm -hmm. some model or something, you'd you'd be dead. She'd feed you poison or something. Yeah. Um, or she'd kill that chick, something like that. But she is incredibly unhinged from the very first fucking time we see her to the <laughs> very end. This chick is wild. <laughs> she seems like someone that she, she can't I would imagine whatever money she makes it's probably from family or something because I can't imagine her having a job it, it's too much like uh, towards the end when they kidnap Terry and they're like are they at, I, I I don't know why I always think this but I, I assumed like it, that, that they were at her house they are or like they are okay because like she often comes from money somehow mm-hmm and probably like maybe a trust fund kid or maybe her parents died. You never really know. You just know she's super rich and it's never explained or uh, even brought up. No, she, she does mention that uh, she never told her parents that she loves them. Um, so we know that she is not the closest to her family, but apparently, but it does sound like a trust fund kid thing to say. Like they've been, they've been yeah. basically giving you this quality of life for free, and you still don't appreciate them. <laughs> um, but she does give off that vibe because her day job is basically hanging out outside uh, the offices of Jerry Langford's show, um, and waiting for him. And she does find him in this. I, I do, I'm not sure if they ever show her get into the limo, but she's just already in there. I think. I, I think. I think it's like um, like a, a Cato thing from Pink Panther. Like he's she's just there, <laughs> <laughs> and she sneaks up. But it's her approach. She almost got so. It's almost like a dog when you get home and they're just like, mm -hmm. "Holy fuck, you've been gone for so long!" And they're jumping on you, <laughs> going all crazy. 
she comes at him like that, which is automatically would terrify the fuck out of me. He gets out of the limo. She's like, I love the freeze frame of her like <laughs> holding onto the <laughs> slap in the window inside the limo going crazy. And then that's when we get the opening credits. It's fucking yeah. great. It's yeah, so and, good. Uh, smarter people said this. I think it was Albert Kane on uh, Pure Cinema. And he said like, it's basically it mimics a TV screen and her like gazing at TV screen, the mm. freeze frame. I like that. I like that. And I love the the font, by the way, that they use for uh, the opening credits. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like a lot of older movies, even this is not that old, but older movies, sometimes they go a little cheap on the on the credit font. They're like a little yeah. creative, <laughs> creative font. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, and basically, this is this sets up an opportunity for Rupert to to help out jerry he's he gets the crowd away from him because it's getting a little wild where the officers are at fuck if i i guess as soon as he leaves that building the officers are like all right fucking good luck motherfucker <laughs> you're in new york bitch just figure it out and yeah. he uh, he protects them he pushes them away he gets uh uh what's her name uh marcia masha mm-hmm. out of there i keep wanting to say marcia masha out of there <laughs> and he throws jerry in and then he just follows him in <laughs> <laughs> It's such a fucking baller move to just go in. There's not there's not a chauffeur or anything like that. So he mm-hmm. just does that, closes the door, and right away Jerry's like, um, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> and he's like, it's a real <laughs> and uh like 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 the unspoken part of this like is the white privilege of like, yeah, he can get away with it. But if you or I did that, we'd get arrested at some point. Oh, yeah, pretty quickly. <laughs> I'd be saying don't tase me bro very quickly <laughs> <laughs> and he gets it and, and it does help that he's so well dressed like he you I have noticed like um there's been times where I'm 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 at work and I'm I'm in a suit and I I'm going into an event that's actually not for my company like maybe mm-hmm. it's like and they're supposed you're supposed to go in there and you're supposed to register and you're supposed to show. I've been able to just walk through that stuff. And I yeah. think it's because when you're in a suit, if you're walking confidently, they're like, oh, he belongs here. Like he's the <laughs> people just look past it for some reason. But yeah, that's kind of similar. Yeah, I get different. I used to wear like suits, uh just try uh kind of more casually, just try kind of try to get to get more used to them mm-hmm. in general. And I, I like dressing up a little bit sometimes, but like I know a difference in how people react to me being a light skinned black man when I'm dressed more casual versus when I'm dressed more uh, a little like quote unquote nicer. Yeah, and it's a little, it, it's a fucked up thing. Where it's like, yeah, I know why. I don't I don't need to explore this anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. People smell like you more. People will say hi to you more for some reason, mm-hmm. um, and especially in Texas where people say hi to you for no fucking reason all the time. It took me for – I got so used to telling people good morning at work here in San Antonio when I when I was in L.A. for that bit. I would tell people good morning just out of automatic, just from when, for, just from habit, and they would pre- <laughs> just completely ignore me. <laughs> I was like, god damn, am I a fucking ghost? Did I die last night? What the hell's going on? Um <laughs> So that whole conversation, I love that opening conversation in the limousine. That kind of sets the movie on its track because that's what that's what really, I think, I think uh, Rupert getting so close to this hero of his, this that he mm-hmm. worships, and being able to have this actual interaction with them. He gives them his monogrammed um, little handkerchief, and it has a little bit of of Rupert's blood on it, 
which I'm sure symbolizes something. You know, he's willing to bleed for this man. It's it's <laughs> it's a real like a. I mean, Scorsese is a cat. Well, I don't know if he is a religious, but he raised Catholic, so it's probably like a maybe like allusion to like the, the shroud of whatever thing. Yeah. Uh, I went to Catholic school for ten years. I can't remember what that thing was called when <laughs> they wiped Jesus' face. It's it's Catholic bullshit. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's Catholic symbolism, right? Yeah. And also, I think it's a little telling that, um, you know, Rupert bled to for him, and later on in the film, he's willing to let Jerry bleed for his, his success. You know, a little bit like yeah. a little tit for tat. <laughs> and and it's and I know that you can tell I've been in this kind of situation before. Um, not at this level, obviously, but where mm -hmm. somebody's really talking to you because they really are wanting to kind of mooch off of you mm -hmm. and you just kind of want to get out of the situation. So you sort of appease them and you just kind of play along with it because you're like, well, at some point this will be over and I will hopefully not have <laughs> to see this person again. Yeah. And uh, Jerry Lewis does such a fantastic job. He gives them a little bit of advice because the problem is that Rupert has never actually done his stand. He wants to be a comedian, but he's never, he's older. He's like 32 or 34. He said, I think 34. Mm. And he's never done. He's never actually done his set on open mic or any fucking comedy place, which he's in a perfect place to be doing comedy. He would have had several options, but instead he's just been honing in on his set um, and writing it all out. And, he just sort of wants to strike it big right away and then and then he will get shows he says that at some point he's like once i get to do the tonight show i'll be able to book tours and all these things and he has this fantasy that that's the way it would all unfold and even jerry langford tells him like how many times have you imagined this conversation or this interaction happening he's well a ton of times a ton of times it's <laughs> <was> like jesus <laughs> it's wild yeah. it's a wild interaction but i really like it i think um Jerry does a good job of calming him down and giving him some real advice. That was actually really good advice. Like, hey, you got to start from the ground up. You know, you got to start from the bottom. And that's where that's basically where Rupert's at. He's at the bottom and he's been at the bottom for a while. But that's yeah, just like it, not, not what he wants to do. It reminds me kind of something that I heard Brian Posehn say years ago on a podcast with the host that is an alleged creep. I won't say your name on the show, but he. He this guy had a nerd themed show. Uh anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh Posein was talking about um when he got to write for uh Mr. Show. Mm -hmm. That's uh I think that's the only show he ever wrote for. But he got the he got the uh the um part, the writing writer part because Bob Odenkirk when he met Bob Odenkirk, uh Posein always carried his uh his book of sketches. Um and comedy stuff with him at all times. Holy shit. And, and it actually paid off for him. Yeah. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Brian Posade is the best though. I love that album he released. That was like metal. It's like dad metal or something like that. Oh, it's yeah, so yeah. freaking good. <laughs> yeah. And, I, uh, I guys heard be, it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I did stand up for like two years off and on. And, oh. um, uh, the open mics where I live aren't great. There aren't a lot of options, so I kind mm. of just gave up eventually. But, but before that, for two years, I had a binder full of jokes I thought might work in stand-up. 
and I mm-hmm. never used them. So then when I started, I had like, because I always heard that your first couple of years are, are terrible. Your jokes will be awful. So I thought, well, if I write down all my awful ideas first, then I'll be kind of decent <laughs> if I start. <laughs> the writing will at least be there. Yeah. And then it's just the execution of it, you know, the mm-hmm. timing and all that, whatever they say. But um, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> so, so I kind of relate to Rupert a little bit in that sense, but I never like. I don't, I even, the only like famous person I kind of met once was uh, uh, was someone who is a politician who's in the news right now. He, he was associated with Trump, but like that's that's about it. Oh really? Really? Okay. It's a weird story how I met, how I ran into this guy, but it's it is a very boring interaction. I didn't know who he was at the time. My friend was like, he was in the White House in the nineties. Like, oh, okay. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, my but, only close to famous person, uh, well, a famous person that I've actually one on one conversation with for like, you know, more than five minutes uh, was Danny Threckle. I I was at the Omni in Austin and. He was lifting weights and I was working out too. And I just sort of didn't go up to him at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, we both wrapped up at, at the same time and we were leaving the gym. And And I said, hey, uh, Danny, I was like, I love your work, man. Like, you're awesome. And thanks for representing our our culture and, and mm-hmm. in such a great way and this and that. And he goes, hey, yeah, man, no problem. And he goes, weren't you just working out with me right now? I was like, yeah, I was just in the gym right now. He's like, why didn't you come up to me? I was like, you look really scary when you're lifting weights. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I didn't really want to interrupt your flow and shit. He goes, no, 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 let's chill for a little bit. So we just talked around the, um, the lobby area, and he asked me where I was from, and he said he had some cousins down in the south side here. and So it was kind of cool. And I, at the time, I you know didn't. I didn't have a podcast or anything like that, but I got to admit, if I did have my podcast, I'd be like, uh, you want to be on it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he would have said no, but, uh, but he's a great guy. He's one of those dudes that I kind of was afraid to also meet him because I, you know, they always say like, don't, don't meet the people that you, Hmm. you really respect. Don't meet your heroes because sometimes they'll let you down, but I didn't have him at that sort of, he wasn't at that. Hmm. He's just an actor I've always really liked and I enjoy his work and, um and and i find him very interesting so i didn't have high hopes but he's far surpassed it he was a really cool cat so yeah that's I, I here. uh never mind it's, uh joel knows someone who who knew danny trejo a little bit but that's his story to tell not not mine all right uh, well if only he liked this movie <laughs> 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 yeah but uh i just oh, saw yeah. like a uh, I'm not sure if you watched the, the new Muppets series from a couple of years ago. The is like a web web show thing. No, I missed that. I it's, gotta check that out. It's okay. But Danny Trejo did did a, a sketch thing with a Swedish chef, <laughs> and uh, and on set, <laughs> um, his uh, his mom passed away when he was filming, and he was trying to act tough. And then Kermit walked up to him, and they stay in character like the Muppet people. And Kermit walked up and said. I'm sorry for your loss. And he broke down and started to hug Kermit. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. I'm going to have to look this up. I'm going to have to look this up. I had no idea. Yeah. But that's, a, that's but like, I, I'm, but like, I had no clue. But if you watch the sketch, like, you have no clue he was going through anything. Like, he is, yeah. But like, this, it was just so heartwarming to read, like, 
Kermit can like break down anyone into it's tears. It's that fucking. It's that voice he has. It, it hits you in the heartstrings. It's it's kind of like a uh, Mister Rogers. Like is it? They have yeah. this like warmth to them, and how it's just this fabric <laughs> little <laughs> frog. But damn it, man, it does. It really does get you. I gotta see that. I gotta. I'm gonna look that up. But um, yeah. anyway, uh, speaking of of crying um <laughs> this movie really made me feel like this movie didn't make, make me want to cry but it made me feel it's almost like when you're at your your friend's house and the mm-hmm. parents start fighting and you are they start yelling at your friend and you're like you feel so awkward and weird that that feeling this movie like takes the cringe factor of watching the really shitty auditions for mm-hmm. america's got talent and it puts it in an hour <laughs> 49 minutes of like you feel so you feel bad for for rupert you you also kind of like you can kind of also kind of relate to him a little bit which is also kind of awkward and weird yeah it, it makes you like at least for me i feel concerned at points watching it because i'm like I, I feel sorry for him They're like i sure feel sorry for him he's a weirdo <laughs> yeah then you start asking you start asking, wait am i a fucking weirdo <laughs> maybe i am a weirdo too <laughs> Yeah, because I, I, I could imagine talking to him like at a bus stop. I definitely ran into people kind of spastic like that. Um, mm-hmm. People that you feel like you're never going to get out of that conversation. You just you're you're you keep you keep trying to wrap it up and then they find something else to say. He does that so many times where especially that very first time with mm-hmm. Jerry, where he keeps he does a stupid little pride and joy joke with the card <laughs> and shit like that. And. I'm like, just let the guy go in his home. He's just been working for the last two hours. Give the guy a break, but yeah, he's that, so that, into it. And like a little bit, he reminds me of my grandpa. And that, my grandpa's a New Yorker, and he has a similar accent. And also, uh, when you're trying to leave his house or get off the phone with him, it's going to be about five to ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're just standing at the doorway, just like trying to like... Mm-hmm. Here we go. Here we and go. He, be yeah, a- my grandpa he talks real fast, and it's like, yep, I know, I, I love you too. I, I, I gotta go. <laughs> You're like slowly trying to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I notice um, uh, a lot of elderly people tend to be like that for some reason. I and I think I think maybe they just don't get to talk to people as much. Uh, uh, and my, oh, my grandpa is very social. He is, he just likes to talk. Yeah, he's just one of those. He's he's probably been like that his whole life. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty awesome though. Um, my grandpa was a man of a uh, few words. <laughs> my, my, my other grandpa, he barely talks at all. Yeah, it's <laughs> weird how different they can be. Yeah, yeah. My, my uh, most I would hear my grandpa talk was when uh, the Cowboys were losing, and he would cuss them out for about thirty minutes. Uh, that's pretty well, much I- it. My my uh my other grandpa he when he I don't, I, pretty much the most I hear him talk is if he he'd say shit or goddamn it and that's the that's the, the most I hear him talk usually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you gotta love your grandparents; they're fun. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. Rest in peace to that mustachioed legend. And so we we leave that that interaction. Rupert's all happy, and we get our first glimpse at like him being um unstable mentally wise Mm -hmm. uh because he imagines he he initially he invites jerry he's like hey anytime you want lunch i got you you know on my treat Mm -hmm. 
So he immediately goes into the fantasy because now he wants it's almost uh, what, what do people say? They want to manifest things. He yeah. really manifests it to the point where he role plays it <laughs> in his basement where it's all dark and creepy. I yeah. like the juxtaposition of the fact Jerry is a, he, he's a very minimalist, clean. Everything's very white. It almost looks like American Psycho where he's at. Oh, yeah. And. And, um, and like and like the, the and like the uh, the hallway into the offices is weirdly ominous. It is. I, I don't know what it is about. It's like maybe the lighting and it's like kind of goes off to nowhere. And for the longest time, it almost feels mythical. And like, is this a fa- is this fantasy also? Right. <laughs> I, 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 there are a lot of moments where, especially the part where, um, because that little that little lunch scene is really good it's basically jerry saying like hey i need you to cover for me for just six weeks i just need you to do six weeks of the show and rupert's already so famous he's like do you know i don't have that kind of time and blah blah, blah. and he's like <laughs> yeah but then it cuts to him in his basement where it's all hodgepodge and gross and uh you hear his mom getting like what are you doing down there <laughs> it's like mom it is wild, dude. I was like, what the yeah. fuck is going on? And it's it's Scorsese's mom, of course. Oh, yeah. I saw that in the credits. <laughs> and his dad is a guy. He's a guy at the end of the bar towards the end. I think he has one line. Yeah. He he's he's the one that person. says, no, like, that's him. He was on the TV and he was just here. Is yeah, that I the think guy? that's his dad. That might. It did kind of look like him a little bit. And uh, uh, his, there's another Scorsese in the credits. Maybe he. Maybe his wife or his sister. I'm not sure. I saw a third wow. Scorsese name show up in the, in the credits. Well, you know, you, know, you got to work in the fam every now and then. You know, it's cheap labor. Yeah. I mean, his mom was in all his movies pretty much until she passed. That's pretty cool. I would I would try to do that, but I don't think I could get my mom to do any of that shit. She <laughs> is not. She's a country gal, so she yeah. does not also, need to I be think, on the camera. I, I, I maybe because like it's pretty pretty publicly known he's talked about this that like his dad had uh, owed the, the mafia money and maybe he would give his dad like his parents a little extra like job just to like, give uh, them a little extra cash maybe dang yeah well it's a good thing their son made it big <laughs> things could have got really out of hand there but yeah so he we see how kind of uh, mentally unstable uh, rupert pumpkin is which by the way is the funniest fucking comedian yeah. name that alone i think would have gotten him some shows my name's rupert pumpkin like put me on this <laughs> it's hilarious and they, already and the lady gets the name wrong every time yeah pipkin <laughs> <laughs> like he goes oh yeah the uh the uh i guess he's sort of like a creative director or something for for uh for jerry or something like that i don't know <laughs> but she's great um i'm trying to think of her name in the I think it's Kathy. I think it's Kathy. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. like the main. Like, I think they call her secretary, but she seems to be way more involved in that. She seems to be doing a lot more stuff. I mean, the fact that she's listening to the tapes and stuff like that. So, um, but I honestly think, Did, even though they believe that, I don't, I don't. I don't think they listen to a tape. I think they listen to it. I I w- almost wish we could have seen that scene because I'm curious if. Could you imagine if? if he left in all the times his mom was interrupting him and he was yelling at his mom, like <laughs> I wonder if they would have thought he was doing a bit and it would have been funny. You could have made another film where he's really just, he's mentally unstable and he's, 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 he lives with his mom 
but they honestly think he's doing a real bit instead of just being actually serious. And uh, he actually, they actually put him on the show. That would be a whole different movie, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe they didn't listen to it. Maybe they did. Maybe they were trying to just get rid of him. but uh, she seems so genuine when she's like, yeah, you know, do some shows, get, get your show out there, sharpen your stuff. And we, we will send somebody out to go watch your work, you know? Yeah. Cause I don't know if, that's the thing. It's very difficult to find out to to determine what's fantasy and what's not. Like, what are we seeing through Rupert's eyes and what is reality? Because his standup wasn't that bad. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah, like you can tell. Like he he's he studied standup. Like he's he's a fan. Yeah, he is. He's got the delivery and the timing, and he's doing a lot of this. <laughs> I like it because his suit is pretty snug, so he's like this, and like he can barely lift his arms up. <laughs> it's just it's funny to me. Like he looks like a marionette while he's doing his set. Um, and it's just yeah. always fun for me to see Robert De Niro play characters like this. Um, yeah, so it's and also like you forget like he's he's like average height, and you see him next to Jerry Lewis, and Jerry Lewis is like six was six foot six one, and you see like. Oh, like he's just like a normal, like you see, Darren's like a normal sized guy. Like that's yeah. all that, that definitely helps with like him blending into roles too. It does, yeah. He and <laughs> the scenes with <laughs> the scenes with him and Jerry Lewis are <laughs> absolute fucking gold. I I can't explain to to the listeners. You really do have to watch this movie. We we can't do it justice. Like the way it's shot, the the soundtrack. We can't. We can't do anything about that, but I can tell you that the soundtrack and the way it's shot, the cinematography is amazing. Uh, it really does. It really adds to the kind of creepiness of the film without really having to do anything too outwardly creepy. Like it, yeah, it just creates it's all it's pretty much all with like Sandra and um, De Niro. Just like they infuse this uneasy energy that yes. you feel at all times. You never. Like, like it's not just like a horror movie, but like you never feel safe watching this movie. <laughs> no, I, I, and it, what's funny is to me personally, one of the funniest. There's two very funny things, uh, moments in the film that really got me. Um, and I don't know whether they were intentional or not. It doesn't matter because whatever is going to make me laugh, if it makes me mm -hmm. laugh, it makes me laugh. Uh, the first one is watching Jerry Lewis run away from <laughs> Masha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're like downtown of the city and he gets he can feel someone following me because at first it feels like a nice day for jerry's walking to the office and saying hi to the 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 cabbie and making some quips and he's having a good morning but then he sees masha behind him and he's like oh shit he slowly starts speed walking <laughs> and then you get to see jerry lewis run which is automatically hilarious whether he was trying to look funny or not watching jerry lewis run at this age is fucking funny as fuck and they dodge some cars and they just he just barely makes it inside in time i could not stop laughing i had to rewind it and watch it again i was like <laughs> this is too good she's fucking bonkers dude i was like yeah, holy like, shit and like, like around like this point in the movie you get the reveal that like she's she is stalking rupert as he is stalking um jerry and it's like yeah. and it's like a crazy reveal of like i don't know uh it's just it's a nice little detail of uh just like making things just that much more uneasy and that much more bizarre yeah yeah and she she sees rupert as an opportunity to be able to get this letter that she really wants to get to jerry 
I, I'm kind of bummed we never got to see what that letter was, <laughs> but I'm sure it's pretty close to the kind of stuff she was saying when she had him in, in her in her in her uh, house but i'd assume it's probably like a, a nude photo and probably a love letter <laughs> I mean, she wanted yeah. to fuck jerry so it would make yeah. he's got big hands too who knows what he's working with he would have <laughs> she's she's a very slight woman just just real thin holy shit like it looks like she has muscles but i think it's just like the skin is just right up on, like there's like nothing there man holy yeah. shit that's like cocaine skinny you gotta love that yeah uh, uh, <laughs> just at some point she uh she mentions never i can't remember so i have something in my notes about like um uh, uh paul mooney because like so you mentioned something like like reminds me of like uh a Paul Mooney because like Paul Mooney was her mentor when she was doing stand up mm. and she would play in black clubs and stuff and like something uh, maybe, something about that reminded remind me of her like in her history of, like if in black clubs doing comedy doing like her very strange <laughs> um stand up <laughs> if you've ever seen it some of I it doesn't just... age well. It borders yeah. on blackface-ish type of stuff a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's still real interesting. Yeah, I remember little bits of it um, from when I was really young, and, it, and they would show some of her stuff in the early 90s. And I didn't get most of her jokes because I was huh. young as shit. I was probably like eight yeah. or nine or something like that. But I remember my brother watching some of her stuff. And I just remember it's just very a lot of movement. Her her face is very distinct. It's like every okay. word she says, like her mouth makes that word perfectly. It's like <laughs> it's very articulate, everything going on. She's she she would be a horrible criminal because she's hard to miss like you draw her <laughs> once and you got a one sketch of her this she would be able to she would have needed covid to be happening because you would have to cover that face of hers <laughs> oh yeah um but yeah she is fantastic and incredibly creepy man she, there is a part in um because as y'all may or may not know they they do end up uh uh just skip skipping forward a little bit but i do want to cover some stuff before this but they 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 do uh, kidnap uh, Jerry Langford and she has this little alone time with him and there is a part where she says I, I wish I was black so I can dance around and sing to you like Tina Turner or something like that okay that was it she uh, does say her, that yeah if you want, want to stand up thing she mentions uh, I mentioned she does like a cover of a Nina Simone song <laughs> yeah. in a way that is Haunting? uncomfortable <laughs> no, it's it, haunting it, it, it borders on like almost like are you trying to do like a black like a black voice thing it's strange yeah yeah but like it's also but her stand-up is like confrontational and so it's supposed to make you feel kind of uncomfortable yes yeah and uh she's very good at it uh (laughs) she has a phd (laughs) in cringe it's uh kudos to her uh and uh she's she's still around rocking right she's still doing Mm -hmm. her thing right yeah yeah still probably skinny as shit too you know gotta love it but uh she uh so what what i did want to touch on was um the whole the whole back and forth like the a big chunk of the the middle of the film is is uh, uh rupert interacting with the front office staff 
of, of Jerry. The poor, the I feel so bad for their front office staff to have to deal with Rupert Pumpkin. But he's just trying to get in. Like he 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 took it so serious. I gotta admit, like I think if you have any type of self, because that's the one thing mm. that um Rupert doesn't have. He has absolutely zero self-awareness. He has no idea how he comes across to anybody. He thinks he comes across like a million bucks to everyone. He doesn't know how fucking obnoxious he is. And <laughs> you know how he doesn't um he's not able to read also what people are trying to tell him, like in between the lines. Um so he just doesn't understand that and he's so persistent and i do like that opening that um not the opening scene but that scene where he's waiting uh mm-hmm. to to speak to uh kathy and he just starts looking up at the ceiling <laughs> and the, the receptionist <laughs> is like what the fuck is he looking at yeah that's the part where like she says well jerry's busy and he's like okay and he sits there and waits yes yes <laughs> oh god it's so uncomfortable and I think he ends up calling him, and that's that's when he hears from her. And she's like, "Yo, I'll go down there and I'll talk to you right now, and you know, we'll talk." And that's when she asks him to to record a tape that they need something to hear. They okay. can't just hire him just based off of like his personality. They actually need to see if we have material. And so that's when he decides to go back home, and he tries to set it up like he's actually on the Tonight Show. He re- he uses a recording of the beginning of one of the episodes, and then. Yeah pops in with his own line introducing himself as the king of comedy which is so ridiculous <laughs> and he has um uh a cardboard cutouts of oh, jerry man. uh uh and what's her Ju- name judy, Gar- judy garland's daughter yes 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 the uh I can't remember her name. big theater singer uh um, she's on rest of development she's liza uh, minnelli or something yes liza minnelli it's yes. definitely cut out, Jerry cut out, and a third cut out. I forgot who it is. Yeah, it's scary. I don't know why it, it's unsettling to see like the paper face, like it's just the paper face, like on a mannequin or something. I don't even know. It's just unsettling to me. I did not like that at all. Yeah. And, and one wall is just a, a black and white photo of an audience laughing, and it's genuinely like upsetting. For and I can't explain why it's upsetting to me. Yes, he he. It almost seems like they go into that's like a fantasy area of for him because the way the camera pans back, mm-hmm. I don't even see how that could fit in like whatever apartment yeah, he lives yeah. in. Like it's a huge corridor hallway. <laughs> it almost looks like a museum gallery. Oh yeah, way. it's really creepy. It's so creepy, and he's doing his. He's starting up his stand up like he's in his fantasy, and he's hearing them laughing at him and which they probably are more laughing at him than anything else. But um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's crazy how fog deep in the hole he is. Like he is deep in that delusional graveyard. Like he, he and, can't get uh, out. So uh, there's another woman in the movie, Rita, who was played by, I want to get the name. Cause that was his wife at the time. Oh, Diane Abbott. Yes. Yeah. She's great. Very and... uh, low key. She's, she's not like, she, I, I guess it was best for her to be chill because uh, Sandra Bernhardt was really uh, chewing up some scenery. Yeah. And uh, Rita is like the one normal person in the movie who is there to be like, well, this is weird and fucked up. <laughs> about the voice of reason. Yes. <laughs> and like, weird one... and fucked up. <laughs> yeah. And like, they're going on a really horrible date where he just talked about. I got this. I got uh, this celebrity to sign. Uh, it, it has a book of um, signatures from celebrities. He just won't shut up about it and keeps going on and going on. 
it's like someone showing your showing you their pokemon collection card collection or some shit like that and you're not into pokemon so you're like i don't give a fuck what the fuck is going on here dude it's it, it almost is like when you go he's because he's kind of childlike in nature and um he has that childlike wonderment about him and it feels like when you were a kid like when you were like seven or eight and you went to your friend's house who had like a lot of toys and he's showing you all the shit that he has and you're like i don't give a shit like i don't care <laughs> i don't care that you have all the monster trucks or whatever and so it it kind of feels like that for her because she's like i'm not in this world i don't i don't crave to be famous and i don't i don't care about famous people and he does not realize she doesn't care because he cares so much about it. He, he would rather talk about himself and the stuff he wants to do. And I'm surprised she went out with him to be quite honest, but she's known him for, I think she said 13 years or something like yeah. that. So she's known him. She knows he's a little bit, you know, a little yeah, bit uh, eccentric. Yeah. But also like he, he knows how to present. Uh, okay. Enough. I guess he's borderline. Point. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he, he really I, walks the line. <laughs> I feel like he has some awareness to be like to tone it down around certain people in some mm. situations, but not every situation. Yeah, I think because he's so comfortable with her, he shows his like true who he is, who he is, and she's nice enough to appease him and and uh, I guess accept who he is for the most part. And she's willing mm. to like tell him like, you know, she's like. After a while, she because he does this bit where he's like, "Here's one of the famous signature, most famous signatures I have," and she's like, "I can't read this. This looks like scribble." He's like, well, "The more scribbled, the more famous." And this bullshit. <laughs> and um, she's like, "He's like, it starts with Ooh, and She's like, "Robert Redford." And he's like, "Very funny, no, no, Robert." Redford. So like, he does this, and it's so cringy because, oh god, I just I can't even explain it. It's just I don't know why people that have. I, I shouldn't think like this. I, sh I really shouldn't. I should appreciate people that have hopes and dreams. But the more hopes and dreams people have, I find it so annoying. Like, don't talk to me about it. Just go fucking do it. Right. I don't oh, need yeah. to hear about it. I mean, the classic thing of like, you never like I've been trying to write uh, short stories and stuff for years. And one of the first things that I was told by someone who has who has published uh, a friend of mine, she said, uh, Never talk about ideas you have. Just do it. Yep. Because you talk about it, you're never going to do it. Exactly. Exactly. I I've definitely done that before in, in my life. So I that's completely true. I have said I was going to do shit and like never fucking did it. Yeah. Like, uh, this is probably one I, of the first things I've actually done that I said I was going to do. Yeah. You know, like there's a reason I have like 20 novellas I've started, but like I can't do anything with like because I never told it like. Like not even my fiance knows like like about any of them because like, it's just like stuff I do on occasion mm -hmm. and I work on it. I, I chip at it a little bit. Like it's been like ten years, but like it's you know it's very slowly get, trying to get these things done. Well, I don't think they will ever be done. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> we're well, gonna have to tell somebody at some point, you know, like yeah, at some point. Well. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've man, I've I've even said I wanted to write. Uh, I would like to write a short story of some of some sort. I've never even put pen to the paper about it. So, yeah. um, I've, I've always written, I've have some concepts, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, I've written like maybe twenty, and I'd only show people maybe three of them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. A lot. That's kind of them. Cool, though. I I I am technically a published writer, but 
I don't talk about that short story that was published uh, 12 years ago because I think it's terrible. That sounds like what a writer would say. <laughs> I feel like it's hard to look at your old work. I don't even like listening to old, um, listening to old, some of my old songs and also old lyrics. When I read some of my old lyrics, I'm like, what the fuck was going on with you, dude? I'm like, damn. Just like yeah, I'm but, like you whiny bitch. <laughs> yeah, but uh, going back to the, the Rita character in King Comedy, yeah. at some point Rupert says to her, "I don't want you to die sad like Marilyn," which is just so condescending and like a really fucked up thing to, to tell really someone. Fucked up. <laughs> really fucked up, dude. Yeah, he sees her life as like bottom of the barrel, like you're just a bartender and this and that. I'm like, bartenders are great. She's making she's making good she she's hot she's making good money probably getting good tips and you live in your basement and you play pretend all day (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah true true and she she's not aware of this I think she sees him at face value as a guy that just likes to um what do you what do you say uh not over and not over and those but he, he sort of he sort of his he tells stories that maybe like ten percent is true, and the rest of mm-hmm. it he just makes up. He over embellishes. There you go. Yeah. He over embellishes, and I think she's just like, ah, it's just part of who he is. We all have friends like that. They tell a story, and it's like a, they the way they tell it's a thousand times bigger than what actually happened. Um, and I think that's what she thinks he is. She I don't think she realizes at the kind of level of delusional he is. Um, until until the scene that I wouldn't mind getting into um, when he's had some back and forth with Jerry's people. They tell him to go get the tape. He sends them the tape. They tell him they don't, they tell him good stuff, not quite at the level it needs to be. Go play some live shows and, and, and we'll do it that way. But then he ends up, he talks to Sandra. I'm uh, not Sandra. That's actually her real name. He talks to Masha and she tells him like, He's there. I just saw him. I chased him inside. <laughs> I chased his ass inside that building. I know he's in there. Just go in there. So Rupert gets a fucking knot up his asshole. And he's like, fuck this. I'm going to march my ass in. He gets after the receptionist. He's like, you know, this could cost you your job <laughs> for lying to me that, that he's he's actually here. And I, this is where we get an eye at the uh, studio. This feels like in when the camera goes into the cabin on Evil Dead. Like, he takes so many lefts and rights in different rooms. I was confused as shit where the fuck he was. I was like, damn. Yeah. Um, oh, they're I coming bl- to get you. No. <laughs> I, I, I forgot to warn about the fire station down the road. Oh. Uh, oh, man. But that whole scene is amazing. I, I love that he... And uh, they do kind of like an old school Benny Hill shit where he's going left, yeah. he's going right, and the, the security's chasing him, and then he goes the other direction. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it, it's like a almost, it's the closest thing to a real life Scooby Doo chase. It really is. It's so good. And I love that they're all sort of, they're not running full speed. It's all just sort of power walking almost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that. So, Man, it, that shit is loud as fuck, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm gonna mute for a little bit. All right, we'll wait it out. So we're we're waiting out this uh, fucking goddamn. It sounds like a goddamn alien invasion's happening wherever Spencer's at. Holy shit, dude! That was amazing. All right, now it's. <laughs> I like I don't notice it unless I'm recording. Otherwise, it's 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 just a background noise to me. 
Really? It's like people yeah. that live by the subway or something. You just you just yeah. it, you just get used to it. I live by a train train tracks, and I I got used to the train. I never noticed it anymore unless I'm right there, like right up on the train. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's just sort of it's there. It's almost comforting yeah. sometimes. Uh, not not fire siren. That's a no. Story. That fire siren. No, that that is that would <laughs> terrify me. Like I said, it makes me feel like all of a sudden, like oh, there's aliens coming through. We, everybody, <laughs> grab your knives. Um, yeah. And I think around the 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 the, the chase in the office is when you, you get the fantasy of he confronts Jerry. I assume it's the fantasy, and Jerry starts choking him. Oh yes, that is the fantasy. Yes, that was the second funny part I was telling you about, where he's like, "I love every single fight." <laughs> like his head is just bob. I swear to God, there's no way they did that in one take, because that is hilarious. That is maybe they did, but I would not stop laughing just seeing Robert De Niro's head bob back and forth like a freaking <laughs> bobblehead. It's so good. Yeah, it's uh, it's a creepy scene too. Just I don't know, because just him imagining Jerry being something that he totally isn't, it freaks me out. I don't like that. Yeah, I, I I always take it as like, is this is this a fancy he has of like his his idol choking him also, right? Because like, I because I, like I guess he's imagining every scenario, but why would you imagine a scenario of like, oh, and the person you're obsessed with is going to physically hurt you? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true. Well, I think it's like you know he he's so envious of you. He wants to he he there's that little thin line between love and hate. Like he loves so much of what you're doing that he almost wants you to be out of the picture because you're competition and you're better than him almost, you know, it could be yeah. something like that, you yeah, know, maybe. but he, and, and plus, I mean, Jerry's character, and, and he, he seems he like he would hurt somebody. His, oh yeah. And he like, he smushes his face too with his giant hands. <laughs> He really does sun him a little bit. Like he's he's kind of he fucking <laughs> he really makes him uh, submissive there. And the thing is, uh, Rupert doesn't get mad about it. He's no. just like whatever. Yeah, it, he likes it. It's his fantasy. Yeah, it is his fantasy. You're right. Yeah, of course he would like it then. Uh, yeah, it's a. It, and and by the way, like we were saying, how minimalist everything that he relates Jerry to, like the freaking this isn't you know is the cocaine eighties. The entire his entire office table is made of glass. No, and the yeah, seats are yeah. made of like a clear plaque, plexi type plastic or some shit. Um, yeah, it looks like Miami Vice. It does. It does look like Miami Vice. It has that nice, clean style. And it's, I don't know. That, that scene is freaking awesome. <laughs> That's all else I can say. It's a great scene. And it's funny. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, I think um, he has a fantasy, I believe, that. Is it in that fantasy or a different one where he says that, oh, we were invited to, or does he just make that up where he says he tells, um, uh, what's your face? The, uh, the bartender, he tells her that mm. Rupert, uh, that I'm sorry, that Jerry's invited them to his like vacation home or something like that to like for yeah. dinner. Yeah. He, he, that's, he just kind of makes that up. Yeah. And like some of the fantasies are very clear. Some of the fantasy, some of us is like, I'm not sure what's happening right now. <laughs> It's it's crazy. And the movie is pretty minimal. Like you're saying, it's minimalist. It's, it's not like David Lynch, like whooshing background noise mm -hmm. type stuff. This is just like New York City, 1980s. But it's done in a way. I don't understand like how how they got to feel fantastical and feel um, 
like have feel, feel delirious like after hours has a similar feeling where after mm-hmm. hours is like it like it feels like a fever like, after hours is more of a fever dream this is more of a like you're kind of you're fading in and out of sleep and you're not sure what's happening yeah yeah you're right it, it's there, it's not like they had a fogginess or something like that yeah it's it's just shot the exact same way the rest of the film is shot but they still somehow m- the it's some of some of the moments where he's having his fantasy they do do a decent job of giving that vibe i think a lot of it is carried by jerry lewis because uh when he's in the fantasies because he's acting uh, like his actual character is so much more just kind of grumpy yeah and kind of he has a i don't know he, he it's almost like he has the world on his shoulders that's the way he feels um because he has a lot of stress his job is stressful yeah um, i mean allegedly john carson was kind of a dickhead as a person so maybe maybe jerry is basing off of yeah basing off of what john carson was actually like as a person yeah and that's going to be kind of torturous to be an asshole but you end up getting a career in entertainment and comedy so everybody expects you to be funny all the time and that might be where the asshole part comes through because you're you're so fed up with that that you go the opposite direction whenever you yeah. have to actually deal with humans like in real the real world yeah it could be something yeah, like that yeah maybe or maybe like, his uh, dad just didn't love him i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that's like uh apparently carson like he just wasn't a pleasant person to be around like off camera apparently yeah. I, I could imagine a lot for some reason i feel like a lot of those tonight show hosts other than i i would feel i would from what i've heard other than like conan o'brien a lot of them are kind of rough around the end. And maybe Craig Ferguson seems like he's pretty humble and pretty chill um, outside of entertainment. But um, like that stuff just came out about uh, what's his face? Um, the, the, the the current Tonight Show guy from SNL. For, for oh, Jimmy this. Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. Like that. He's apparently a fucking terror. Yeah. Um, and like it's it, the same thing with the Ellen show. They go through people all the time. I wonder mm-hmm. why. Yep. Yeah, it, and it's so funny that this movie that and that's kind of why this movie um, holds up so well, because it's it, it, it holds up in several ways. It holds up because Tonight Show hosts are still around and they still have that sort of energy and that vibe about it. Um, the only thing that doesn't hold up is comedians getting their big break on Tonight Shows is not really a thing anymore now that we have no. uh, social media. Yeah. Um, but ironically, social media has taken the place of people with delusions of grandeur that want to be famous or want to hit it big. They want to get that one big viral video. That's going to set their life for the, for the rest that's going to set their, their bank account for the rest of their life. And, and that's kind of what has happened now. So it's not the tonight show. It's not TV anymore. It's being able to hit it huge on, on TikTok or on YouTube or some shit like that. So um, there's even cunts doing this podcast shit on YouTube that hope they they get (laughs) rich and famous. So, yeah, it's just like um uh, and the whole like celebrity worship thing is like yeah because like that 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 that's been a part of like human society since forever. You, you can find like you know, like ancient Roman and Greek texts like kind of like with celebrity worship and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So like this is just even though it feels very specific to a time, it's very it's like this is just like base humanity. This is what mm-hmm. like this universal shit exactly yeah and, and even like the way people treat rupert which can be justified in some ways but 
he genuinely, I think until he's driven to the point, cause that's, you know, at some point he's, he's, um, especially after the, where they go to Langford's home and basically invade his home <laughs> and they get past the, uh, the Butler or whatever you want to call him, um, by telling him they, it's weird because Rupert knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that, that Langford's playing golf right now and he's just making all this shit up. And the, the Butler's like, we were not expecting you. And I would have known if somebody was going to be coming over for dinner and this and that. And so he calls Langford and he's like, they're touching all the stuff and ruining the house, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, yeah, yeah, that would piss me off too. If that was my house and I have some fucking creepy, creepy weirdo dude, like walking around, touching my shit. They play a record. They, because well he doesn't uh what's your face doesn't know that no that they weren't invited yeah. she has no idea yeah rita still still thinks he's a kind of a kooky a kooky weirdo like it's new york you know they're everywhere yeah but he's he's not a standard kooky weirdo and like <laughs> the first time i watched this the whole time during a sequence my stomach was just like curling and twisting and i was like i wanted to crawl on my skin now so uncomfortable cuz you know Jerry's going to show up. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be so cringy. And this is like the, like, this is like the like the top tier. Like, if you like cringy movies, like, the, the sequence will just do it for you because it's just, it's too much for me <laughs> at times. It, it's heavy. I will admit the second watch, I, mm-hmm. I forwarded past the first part of it, like mm-hmm. where they're walking around the house. Like, I couldn't do it again, dude. I had, <laughs> I had just seen it a few days before, and I and I did watch it full through um, that time. But there was some cringe scenes, man, where I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do it. It's too, it's too much. And I feel so bad for Rita because she's a genuinely, you know, good person who. Oh, I don't want to say that good of a person. She's mm-hmm. still kind of rough, right? Because she she does grab a little something while on their yeah. way out from. <laughs> jerry's house but uh she's a good enough she's a, at least an innocent bystander for the most part and yeah. um you just feel so bad and and he he's making a total ass of himself rupert is just and he's trying to play it off and he's trying to play it off and just jerry lewis's smug serious stare it's so uncomfortable it's like it's like um it's when you're it's when your parents are disappointed not mad yeah <laughs> It's so it's so uncomfortable. It's like it's like being caught, you know, jerking off by someone's grandma or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. It's just a special like level of cringe that like only some like Scorsese would be able to pull off. Yeah, it it's so well done, and and De Niro does such a great job of continually being so persistent that they were they're actually supposed he's so sold on it that it was it's almost like he the lie is so strong that he he believes it like he generally believes it so to him jerry is just being kind of an asshole for no reason because they were supposed to be there for dinner you know it's really weird and creepy and odd and eventually uh, Jerry just loses it and he's like you know what I was just just trying to get rid of you that's why I gave you my fucking number I didn't really want to talk to you you were in my fucking limo what do you want from me you're a fucking idiot he calls him an idiot <laughs> it's really f- <laughs> fucked up and he basically tells him there's gonna be a cab waiting for you to and he's nice enough to do that I think he almost pities him a bit because he could have got him arrested oh yeah you know but he was sort he was of like, like 
uh, in him, this might be part of the fact that he lives in New York and he deals with a lot of these personalities and it's just part of his, uh, part of his, uh, background is part of his surroundings or whatever. So he, he's, he at least does that for them, but Rita's like, we got to freaking go. Like, I'm sorry, we need to go. <laughs> this is horrible. Yeah. It's so bad. She's all dressed up to the nines. I felt so bad. That's so rough, dude. That yeah. scene is legendary. Yeah. And, uh, uh, don't know if you ever listened to Mark Maron's podcast at any point, but um, oh yeah, I have I, before in the past, yeah, yeah. Uh, I stopped years ago, but I remember he told a story that he had a stalker for a bit, and so what he did was he he uh, he he talked to a stalker, and was like, okay, let's go to dinner, and then the stalker was like, realized how boring his life was and left him alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think once you're not. Um, once you become a regular person of them, I feel it's almost like how really hot women can still get mm -hmm. cheated on, like you know, like a Halle Berry or something like that, yeah. where you finally reach the pinnacle of like this, like very sought after, stereotypically beautiful person, whether it's on either side, man or woman or whatever. Mm -hmm. But once you actually get them and you you get to like actually be with them. You're like, oh, this is just a regular person in the shell of a really pretty, you know, yeah. with an outside pretty shell. And all of a sudden you're like, ah, I don't know. I kind of want to fuck the maid. <laughs> like, <it's> like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, oh. what, that's, what, that's what Arnold did. Yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> Arnold did. It's like it's we can't help it. Like as soon as something loses its luster, you just kind of move on from it or you just it just you just treat it like it's not important anymore. It's, it's sad. It shouldn't be that way, but that's just human. This is the way humans are sometimes. And so yeah. that's, and like, that's, and, that's yeah. a great idea. <laughs> yeah, and like Jerry's acting is that point is just like, is he this, is he just like laying out how he feels about, I don't know, like some, some, is, some of the performance of Jerry in this is like, I think he's generally just really pissed, right? Pissed off right now. I don't think he's acting. <laughs> Yeah, maybe they had a lot of takes too. I, I feel like maybe that could kind of like what um, you know, uh, what, ha what was happening on the set of The Shining, you know, where mm -hmm. you, you know, it was they were able to dig out this this darkness because you're just so annoyed of saying the same shit over and over again. It could be something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah like this kicks, Yeah, and this kicks off the big shift in the movie where Rupert fully snaps and is like, "Well, we gotta we gotta capture him so I can get on the show." <laughs> Talk about one of the best final acts in any movie. Like the the just when you're starting to be like, well, how is this? Where is this going to go? Like, what's going to happen to this? And it just it doesn't waste any. There's not even a scene where they're planning stuff. We're already there. They're getting ready to do it. And fucking uh, uh, Rupert's dressed like a blind guy. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a giant. They're wearing giant instead of a mask. They're using giant sunglasses. And yeah, they kidnap. They kidnap Jerry. They they take him all the way to uh in, in broad daylight in New York, but this is like taxi driver in New York still. So that's true. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure that that was a little more real than the movie could make it made it seem. That's true. Yeah, I feel like you could get away with stuff like that back then. People Actually, just sort of ignore it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I wish you all both. You're listening. Did did you ever see this happening when you were growing up? <laughs> <laughs> He's probably doing the kidnapping, man. Who knows? <laughs> he has all these drifts. Yeah, uh, he would have been like what? I mean, he would have been like you know, uh, a teen during the, the during those years, right? Yeah, He's yeah. I think like, this was his gang days. 
Oh, uh, Death Death Force. Death Force. Yep. With with Mario and Peter Nertney. <laughs> yeah, and Peter Nertney, and he's he's just snapping his fingers across, just going down the sidewalk, getting ready to start a fight. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So this whole scene is just absolutely amazing. Where they they have him. They don't initially tie him up yet. They, he's just there, um, but they have a gun to him. You know, uh, Marsha Marsha has a, a gun, a par- an apparent gun. I knew it, and I knew the gun was gonna. I just, I just knew it. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, she has a gun which looks incredibly, incredibly real, but uh, it's not. And they have him with with. Ironically, I love that they have him read from cue cards. The ransom, yeah, yeah, because that- it's what he does. This is the funniest part too, because um, <laughs> Rupert can't even do that right. <laughs> there's one. Uh, there's one that's blank. There's one that has upside down. It's such a mess, man. It's a, and, it, and it's almost like Jerry is like, of course he sucks at this. Oh, and he's like, <laughs> he he doesn't seem um, other than when he kind of tries to tell them, like, hey, look, I can let this go. I understand what you're going through. It's it's not a problem. I, I can get you on the show. Like he's trying to work with him kind of to try to sell it to him. Mm-hmm. But I think we all knew that Jerry was just going to get his ass arrested um, oh, and yeah. not actually put him on the show. And uh, so did Rupert. So he doesn't fall for it. But that's the only time that he seems slightly desperate because for the most part, he's like, I'm not worried. He just doesn't yeah. seem worried. I think he can tell that they're not killers. They just really want to be they just well she masha wants to be close to him and talk to him finally and you know and rupert just wants to be on the show yeah and uh the sign thing with the cue cards i can't wonder is that a bob dylan reference hosting in nxs <laughs> because um there's something i don't I, I don't know what it is from but there's a thing in the house that jack built where it is a parody of the bob dylan thing where it's like him with much different signs it's a different thing i'm not a bob dylan fan so i i don't know what it's from yeah. exactly but uh it's thing i've seen parodied because oh. i know scorsese is a dylan fan yeah it could be yeah that would make some sense <laughs> i i love the i love that whole that whole uh, uh interaction and the fact that initially when jerry tries to call his own office they think he it's a prank <laughs> <laughs> they think it's a martino kid <laughs> <laughs> some martino son of a bitch that can do a really good jerry jerry langford impression and he eventually does get a hold of his producer yeah and it uh, has, has like the secret question it's like security question where it's like what do we call the second cameraman he's like helen keller <laughs> which which i'm trying to figure out what does that mean does it mean they're shitty or i think like, that's what it means <laughs> okay yeah, I think that's what it means, uh, which is absolutely hilarious to me. But <laughs> oh, and um, that the, the favorite color is plaid. <laughs> yeah, that was the other the other one. Yeah, it's it was good shit, and I I, I love that Rupert. He calls himself the King. That is his alias um, as this kidnapper, which is classic. And he turns out he's able to he's able to pull it off a couple of strings pulled but of course the the show they bring in um, i think the fbi they bring in some uh, serious i think it is fbi fbi is national cia is international okay and they they bring in they bring in some officers um I, there's yeah, that part uh, where rupert calls the the producer and he kind of tells him like i'm the king i'm gonna be there <laughs> i'm gonna be there <laughs> 
I want to be on the show. You don't have to worry. Like, I love how he's, he's so delusional that he's like, <laughs> he's just like, yeah, don't worry. I, I, I'm going to keep it classy. It's going to be a clean, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I mean, he he knows he knows what to do for uh for because he he studied you know uh you know, how do you stand up and everything so he knows you know don't be filthy blah 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 all that stuff so yeah it yeah, feels like knows. a joke but also it's like we saw well this is the specialty like this is when like he's the most confident he knows exactly yep yeah he's he's ready for his uh moment in the spotlight literally his five minutes of fame. Yeah, and, and at one point before this, um, I forgot who says it, but some I think maybe Rupert says it, but he says I'm just a human being when talking to Jerry, and I think that's what it is. And whenever I hear that phrase, all I think is fear of a black hat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a human, just a human being. <laughs> When I do do is my shit not brown? It's the same old thing. We all flush it down. Uh, <laughs> I love that song. The classic uh, movie. Yeah. When most people poop, they look at the tissue or something. <laughs> he says something like that. Oh, God. It's so good. Um, the director of the movie used to follow me on Twitter. No, uh, Rusty? Yes. Something? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. hope you never listened to the episode on his movie because I... Uh, say, say, say some stuff that was later work that I don't think he'd want to hear. <laughs> oh, well, you know, maybe he'll be, uh, he'll understand. I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> I after after Chappelle's show, I kind of don't like anything he's done. Mm. Well, he directed, I think, most of Chappelle's show, if not all of it. Damn, that kind of makes sense, though. Yeah, I, I could see him knocking that out the park. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen his later work though, so I, I could comment on it. Uh, but I I, say, maybe I will. Yeah. Uh, maybe you might like it. I personally don't. I don't like anything he's done for the past like twenty years or so. Oh, shit. <laughs> but hey, he's still he working. Black like hat, though. <laughs> yeah, he's still working, and more power to him. Yeah, he's still he's still knocking it out. You know, he's doing his thing. Got to do what you got to do. But uh, and and we're going back and forth during this whole scene, um, or this whole sequence. We're going back and forth uh, with Rupert doing his thing, trying to get on the stage. And uh, with Masha um, in her in her own apartment, and they've decided to tape. They tape the shit uh, out of Jerry. This they put him in a fucking cocoon. This guy's in a fucking tape cocoon. It's insane. Yeah. It's just like his little head popped out of like all this white tape. <laughs> and thank God he had no facial hair, because goddamn that would hurt. Oh god, that would have been a nightmare. Yeah, they 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 tell him good and. Uh, this is Masha's time to shine. She is yeah. fucking freaky, dude. She's like, yeah. she's like what I would imagine, like a darker version of, um, what's her name? Harley Quinn. Yeah. Like how I would imagine if there was like a darker version of that character, not so fucking like, I don't know the way she is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, cartoony. It's, it's, it's closer to like the new 52 Harley Quinn. That, that new 52 was a thing DC did like 10 years ago that was mostly bad. I remember. Uh, yeah, but the Harley one of the Harley Quinn things like she fucks dead, Deadshot with like the Joker's face on Deadshot's face on his mask, which feels like this, but like <laughs> that's so fucked up. Oh, yeah, yeah, New Fifty Two got real stupid, <laughs> real yeah. fast. Let's get edgy. Yeah, yeah. She, but that she is the, just creepy. Oof. 
my god yeah, that's that's too much new 52 talk it doesn't deserve that <laughs> yeah yeah i'm glad we that's why i was like well let's go ahead and get that <laughs> yeah um but uh this this is not a lot of reference to uh um after hours but at some point you see like a plaster cast uh or like someone in a plaster cast i forgot what it is but like there's a point in after hours if you've seen it where um uh what's the name griffin dunn that's the guy's mm-hmm. name he's like in a plastic cast uh thing because he kind of gets tricked into it through a bunch of shenanigans but uh, but seeing and seeing the 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 cast plastic caster uh, uh thing again is like is this what the was this like art this big in new york just pe- like people always like plaster of paris kind of like sculpture stuff <laughs> i guess so maybe it was a it had its moment in the <laughs> In the sunlight there for a bit people just like plastering artwork and shit i don't know could be could be yeah but it, that and is kind of weird and also this is when masha is like i never told my parents i love them which makes me think like are they dead yeah yeah i couldn't tell either i wouldn't be surprised if they were in a fridge like she's <laughs> fucking wild and that could be explained why that could explain how she got her money. Maybe her parents died and she inherited a shitload of the, the money or something. I don't know. But it doesn't seem her her house doesn't fit her personality. No. It almost seems like she just left it the way it was. Maybe it was her parents' place and she just left everything the way it was. I don't know. But she's got all these nice crystal glassware and yeah. And doesn't where they are, it looks like she's never used it at any point. Right? Everything is so put away. It doesn't look lived in, which makes it look creepier. Um, and it makes it seem like he is trapped there. And and you don't know if he's going to be able to get out. But he does what I would have done. Um, but except I think uh, you probably would have actually fucked her. But uh... <laughs> I, I plead a fifth on that. But uh, while she's seducing him, she, you know, she has this sequence. It's, she's talking about all this stuff and talking about wanting to sing and she does end up singing to him and it's creepy as and, and haunting as shit and he's just staring at her the whole time just this straight dread stare of dread and eventually he convinces her to cut him out because she believes that they're gonna just do it right there on the table and he grabs the gun as soon as he's loose enough to do so and it turns out the gun is just a little toy gun that shoots little i don't even know it shot something at her like a little arrows or something i don't know yeah plastic thingies it's, it's basically like like the 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 bang sign gun from looney tunes yeah yeah pretty much and he gets her right in the stomach <laughs> he shoots it like two times at her stomach which is so funny and uh he kind of walks toward her in this very because he's an intimidating guy uh yeah. jerry langford or jerry lewis in general and he's walking yeah, like, up to her and she's like holy shit yeah like, like he always play like a usually play like a silly buffoon but like he was like he he could have played an NBA. He is that tall. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. He, his hands are huge. You're right. Like I noticed that too. I'm like, dang, he's got some rowdy hands. And um, he and, and speaking of having big he's, hands that comes in handy, he smacks the <laughs> shit out of her. Yeah, I think the the co- the red color of her hair almost came out. That's how hard he smacked her. Holy shit. Yeah, uh, he could probably like palm basketball with those hands. Oh yeah, yeah. He he definitely could. Um. 
And so he he hits her hard enough to at least get her down on the ground so he has time to run away. And then you get this great scene of him coming out of the apartment complex running with the tape still kind of on him, <laughs> on his legs and on his wrists. And he's fucking running. We get to see Jerry Lewis run again, which is hilarious. And then she runs on after him, and she's just in her bra and panties. She's in her skibby-wibbies. It is so good. And she's like, Jerry! Jerry, come back! <laughs> oh, my God. I think the last that's the last we ever see of Jerry in the movie. Uh, we get a one more shot of him where, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we get that one last shot where he's seeing he's seeing uh, Rupert on the monitor. Oh yeah, and he stares at it just like that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way I can define the stare he's doing. It's just when you see something and you're incredibly angry about it. It's like that motherfucker actually pulled it off. What a piece of shit. <laughs> um. What I can tell is, you know, because he does get on the show eventually and he, he tells the cops, well, you're not going to find Jerry Langford if you don't let me on that fucking stage. And you're also not going to get him if you don't let me watch myself somewhere else on, you know, to, to see my performance and everything like that, you know, because it airs mm-hmm. a little bit later. And, yeah, he does go on stage and he, he does get introduced by the, the I guess, the backup uh, host or the, you know, I think I forget who they have go on there, but Tony Randall, I think. Yeah, Tony um, Randall. Yeah, Tony Randall, and he's already he, he's already bitching about his opening joke that he has. Um, something about his writers firing squad or <laughs> something. Oh, his his writers got um his writers got killed by the studio firing squad or something like that. I don't know. And and it actually didn't land. People were laughing and stuff. And so he introduces Rupert, and they show just a split second of it at first, and. He seems like the crowd's actually accepting him, but I don't know if that's real or not. I I took it as real. I did too, but I don't know. I, I the, I'm shocked he did that good. Like to me, to me, the movie is just like it's build up to that two minutes of stand up, basically. Yeah, and when you finally get to see it, and it's like, and it it, it it pays off well. Like it's not the funniest thing in the world, but it's still it's like. This, like this is just like a like I, I i say it's very rarely like this like this is what movies should be like this is cinema this is like mm-hmm. this this how you like end a movie it's great it's it's and and you, he's so happy and um i think the best part of the stand-up routine um well for one he mentions that his mom's been dead for nine years which makes me wonder if in the fantasies he's just hearing her or if that was just a little fib that he put together just for the bit yeah, I, I was know. wondering that too. I'm not sure if his mom is actually uh, alive or not. I wouldn't be surprised if he was hearing her. Um, why you would only hear your mom when she's yelling at you down at the basement, I don't know. But uh, I, it could have happened a lot, and so we got so used to her interrupting him. Maybe I don't. I don't know. But it does add to the creepy factor if she had actually been dead that whole time. Um, very psycho esque um, energy yeah. there. And but my favorite part is where he literally says, "Yeah, I got you know to get on here. I had to tie up Jerry Langford. I had to kidnap Jerry Langford, and everyone's cracking up." He's like, "He's like, I thank you for laughing, but <laughs> <laughs> I really did tie him up. He's tied up somewhere in the city, and everyone's cracking up." He's like, "Tomorrow you'll realize you'll probably think I'm crazy, but <laughs> yeah, it's like he, when then the, he says the big line. Yeah, it's like when a serial killer was on um the the." the dating game in the seventies where it's like, Oh, this guy's charming and, and funny. And then you get to, then you know, later people found out, Oh, he was actually killing people at this point in time. Yeah. 
it is fucking bonkers, man. It is so. I love the. I love that the way that whole sequence ends. It's so good. Um, yeah, and because like he, like the, the the big line is, I'd rather be king for a day than schmuck for a lifetime. Yeah, <laughs> and. I got. I gotta admit, like I like. I I totally understand where he's coming from. That's not well, the way I would be, but hey, you know, we all have our own life goals, and that was his, and he did it. Um, yeah. and then you get the taxi driver ending of like, is this fantasy or real? But I take this ending as real because I feel like this is the kind of thing that would be celebrated because people are like it's that crazy guy who kidnapped uh, Jerry Langford, and like he would definitely have. Uh, somewhat of a career based off of this i think yeah i can imagine um i could imagine him being able to write a book after this and you know after only doing he had been sentenced for six years but he only does two and i and i remember when they first said six years i bet i bet he did way less because he's so nice and i would imagine he was just a nice guy in prison and everybody kind of liked him and he was probably talking about his experience and people probably wanted to hear about his story um and so him coming out with an autobiography and that selling, I would imagine that would sell. I mean, that's a crazy story. And it was a much smaller media world back then. So some guy that got on the Tonight Show and wrote a book, everybody would know about it. Yeah. So it would be a big deal. Um, but what I kind of like is when he finally gets his um, his own television special with the live audience and everything, they introduce him as the king of comedy. He's up there on the stage. He doesn't look he's kind of smiling and everything but i don't know it's like okay i did it <laughs> like, I don't know. there's a certain sort of something behind that where i feel like he's like i'm satisfied but i guess here it is i did it i yeah, like the, the the fantasy well the fantasy's over now it's work and now he's like realizing oh i have to do more just it, it, there's work to this now. Yeah, yeah. Now you have to actually keep writing material. You have to stay entertaining. I would imagine him not sustaining this. He's too oh, no. mentally unstable to be able to pull that off. It, it, he would need really good writers to put up with this bullshit. But ironically, I think now, if he was famous now, I think he could stay famous. I think people would find him fascinating. At least like if he had like a TikTok and he's just talking and saying all this weird shit um on tiktok i think he'd be a tiktok famous guy all right 100 percent. just so weird and ironic and sad but (laughs) uh uh, so did he did you notice the cameo from the clash in this were they the scumbag people i believe they they were the band uh it was like uh they were the band at the at the end uh, at the end during like the whole tonight during the uh, show sequence because like oh. uh mick mick uh mick jones joe strummer and paul simeon were all all appear towards the end nice that's freaking cool the clash dude yeah and i don't really a... listen to a lot of their stuff I, sh- I gotta go back and check it out yeah I, my I like fiance's mom has a cut their stuff on vinyl that she won't let us borrow because she uh, she doesn't want to she doesn't want us to ruin it but uh uh yeah but london calling is like it's, it's a fucking masterpiece oh yeah yeah it is uh that that's one of the few i is that the whole album's name is yes all... oh, okay 
I'll, I'll, I'll uh, listen from beginning to end. Give it a give it a whirl. Yeah, and like apparently, I think this is the movie. Okay, I think this is one Robbie Robert Robbie Robertson from the band. I never heard of him until he when he died this year. He did the music. Uh, what was it? He did some of the music for um King Comedy, mm-hmm. and apparently he didn't like punk music, and he was upset that Scorsese liked The Clash, and whenever Scorsese would play like uh The Clash around him, he'd complain about like that noisy punk garbage. <laughs> God, <laughs> it's supposed to be noisy. That's the whole purpose of it. People just don't understand. Like they're I, punk, yeah, they're punk the way like Blondie is punk, where it's like it's not it's not the Ramones, but it's kind of similar spirit, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it has that sort of. It's 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 it it it's. I think I can I can see why they became a a, a such a you know be able to get into the popular <laughs> you know generation of listeners because I I feel like uh, they have that ability to extend that far. Um, but like I, like I always used to say, like people would ask me, like after a show, they would be like, "Why do you scream so much? Like, what's like? I don't know. I don't get why you scream so much." I go, "Oh, I'm, I'm actually that mad." <laughs> <laughs> and I go, "And you're not really, you. If you don't like it, it's because you're not supposed to be listening to it anyway. I don't want you listening oh, yeah. to it anyway." I used to be very blunt like that because I'm just an asshole sometimes. Yeah. Um. As you know, I do like to do a quick impression of the movies I cover, and this is a segment I like to go quick impressions. <clears throat> quick impressions. Don't tell anyone yet, but you're looking at the new king of comedy. <laughs> Why not me? Why not? A guy can get anything he wants as long as he pays the price. What's so funny about that? I mean, crazier things have happened. Why not me? Why not? A guy can get anything he wants as long as he pays the price. What's wrong with that? Stranger things have happened. And that is a scene during the <laughs> dating scene with Rita where Rupert Pumpkin is talking about getting his big break in show business. And I just wanted to do a Rupert line. And I just I like that. That was one of the things he said that actually made me kind of like him a little bit. I thought that was uh, it, it humanizes him a little bit. Yeah. But then, you know, but, then he does other things. Yeah, not, not too much. <laughs> It's just a perfect fine line of you. You like him enough, Scorsese, uh, not Scorsese, De Niro. You know, this is back when he was actually trying before Meet the oh, Parents yeah. ruined his career. So, like, you know, when he's actually putting an effort, you're like, man, he, that's a fucking movie star. Oh yes, but he that, is that's like amazing. This pure charisma. He really does. He, I mean, the fact he can be such a unlikable character and and every now and then get you to just give him a break. That that does it, that goes. That's just great writing. That's just great acting. Great performance, and and it's amazing how that works. But uh, as you know, I do like to rate these movies by my favorite mustaches. You have the uh, full Fu Manchu recommendation for hell yeah. The walrus mustache for pretty damn good. The horseshoe mustache for not bad. And, of course, the dreaded Hitler mustache for Burn This Movie in Hell. As you know, you're more than welcome to make up your own mustache if you'd like, Spencer. Or you can stick to the traditional categories. How would you rate The King of Comedy? Uh, I, I got to go with, instead of saying full Fu Manchu, I'll say the full Rupert Pumpkin mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Only a Rupert Pumpkin could, could, could have a mustache like that. 
Oh God. It's so, it's so it's, it's perfect. I don't even know how to say it. It's per when you hear if, if someone were to tell you, I know a guy named Rupert pumpkin, <laughs> that's exactly how he would look the greased up hair. Like he looks like a, a used car salesman. Uh, yeah. From the seventies, kind of like late seventies, uh, early eighties. He looks, it's he looks amazing. like he could. He looked like he should play Dan DeVito's older brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see them doing a movie together. Talk about the perfect ten, you know? Yeah, nice skinny De Niro, a little round DeVito. <laughs> yeah, apparently today's DeVito's birthday. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah oh, and he's... I think Scorsese. And the time of this recording, I think Scorsese's birthday was just like yesterday or something. I think he turned uh, like yeah. eighty-one. Yeah, eighty something. Yeah, yeah I remember when when the Irishman came out. It was like De Niro's eighty, Pacino's eighty, uh, Keitel is like eighty, eighty-two. Like the all the stars are like are over are over eighty. I think Joe is the only one who was in his seventies. Wow, it is crazy. Like, and I will say, Scorsese, he does a lot for the. Um, the uh, uh uh older adult uh us <laughs> cuz his movies are so filled maybe he'll throw in a couple of, of of you know younger women but it's almost always a bunch of old guys arguing or fighting or yeah. doing something and uh i give him credit for that you know he's very loyal to the to the the, the guys that he likes to work with so i give him yeah. that and they're great so i don't blame him but uh, yeah, I can see. I can. I also give this the full Fu Manchu. I think it, it's um, or the full Rupert Pumpkin. <laughs> um, he's awesome. I, 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 this movie is is it's it's dark. It's it's funny. It's creepy. Um, and times kind of romantic in a way because there you do want you do want uh, Rupert to feel loved. You know, he's a pretty lonely yeah. guy. Um, there's a chance he lives completely by himself and not even with his mom. <laughs> So you feel kind of bad for the guy sometimes, um, even when he's incredibly obnoxious and just does not stop. But in the end, I highly recommend this film. I'm I'm glad I saw it. And I think it has mm -hmm. a re as tough it is to, as it is mm -hmm. to watch. It's great. Mm -hmm. to, I, it's I want to watch it at least once a year. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Great. Sure. Uh, Natasha Leone for her 40th birthday, she ran out of theater and played King Comedy. Yeah, apparently uh, it went over very well. I bet. I, I would. I would like to see it again at some point. I mean, not tomorrow. <laughs> um, it's kind of like, yeah. like, kind of like the Joker film, like, and and like I was saying, you know, um, with the Science of Lambs and Manhunter, like, I like Manhunter more, and I'll say that I like the King of Comedy more than Joker. Um, yeah, Joker for me is half is like a kind of generally interesting movie, and half is like king of comedy slash taxi driver so it's mm -hmm. half like imitation half you're kind of doing your your own thing yeah yeah it's a but, hybrid it's a definitely a hybrid but you can feel the inspiration i guess oh yeah it, it just it yeah it, it just wants to be king of comedy except it wants to be for a joker <laughs> except yeah you're dealing with the joker so he's gonna have to do something way crazier uh rupert in, in comparison to the joker is actually um He's not really that bad of a guy. <laughs> he's just really nah. desperate for fame. That's all. And he's yeah. willing to take it to the next level. And uh, yeah. kind of give is him credit this, for that. Is this in your top tier of, Sc of Scorsese? What's your favorite Scorsese? 
I would say right now this is definitely in my my I haven't seen every Scorsese film, so I I am I do need to cat I need to watch all of them. But it would I would say it's in my top three for sure, if not my I first or second. I I really like this movie. I really like the cringy mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I'm as well. I can totally relate. Mm-hmm. I like that kind of um comedy, and I even like it when it's done in a more serious tone too. I think it 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 has an effect on you that just it's difficult. It's, it's something you don't feel very often. So it's special to me. So it's up there. I, it just has such a cool vibe to it. I love the scene, the scenery. I love the way the corporate offices look in the eighties. Like, so I like the entire vibe of it all. And big shocker. This was a huge failure. (laughs) I heard it. I heard it did kind of, yeah. People did did not want to watch a cringy comedy about uh, a stalker. Yeah, where there's no f bombs, it's not. It, there's like really no cussing. I don't think. Uh, it's a pretty clean movie. The only, the most vulgar like language I remember is um the old lady on the street who tell when Jerry is like, I gotta go, and she's like, I, I hope you get cancer, Jerry, when he walks <laughs> away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's just before we get to see him run away from from Masha. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Spencer, do you have anything you'd like to plug for the listeners? You got anything coming up? Any uh, episodes? Uh, my own show, Dark Habits, and a mode of our podcast. Is, that's our fourth season. We have one oh. on Kurosawa called High and Low, one on Spike Lee called We Cut Heads. That's uh, all titles are from movies. We Cut Heads is Spike Lee's student film that is on YouTube sometimes until his people find it and delete it off of YouTube again. He uh, he doesn't show it movie anywhere for some reason. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know why. I hear it's okay for like yeah. it's good for student film, but whatever. Uh, yeah. Season three, um, shoot the oh, piano the, player. Yes, shoot hmm? the piano player. Uh, French New Wave. So this season is on Motivar. So queer cinema stuff, uh, more focus on women. Uh, Spanish stuff, more transgressive movies. Uh, classic Hollywood. And we have a fourth season that, uh, sorry, in the fifth season will be Robert Altman. And that will be the last season because I don't want to keep doing this. And I've run out of things that I want to do a deep dive on pretty much overall. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if you like a deep dive, if you, if you, if you like a, a lot more background and more in-depth discussion and less poo-poo pee-pee jokes, um, <laughs> you'll definitely love the podcast. Uh, Spencer's awesome at this. And, uh, yeah, and you're going to be on an episode with uh i think you picked antonio banderas episode but the movie i wanted is not streaming anymore so i have to find another antonio banderas movie we can do spy kids uh, <laughs> uh, joel, would, joel would veto any rodriguez <laughs> i can tell you that now oh god all right man. well thank you so much for, for joining the podcast again love to have you back on soon uh, and for the rest of y'all listeners, thanks for sticking around. I hope you watched again comedy. If you've already seen it, watch it again because it's fucking good. And the rest of y'all have an have a wonderful. Um, this will probably come out around uh, December. Uh, happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, uh, Kwanzaa, whatever happy you do. Kwanzaa. Hopefully, you get what you want, and uh, maybe someone touches your peepee. All right, have a good night. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>